Okay, so uh, this week uh, we're carrying on uh, in a series that we started uh, for Easter, really. Um, so uh, we, Colin preached on uh, Palm Sunday uh, about what happened then, and then we had our Easter service. And we thought, actually, let's just carry on. This is good. <laughs> like, what happens after the resurrection? We're running through, uh, in the month of May, we're running through from the resurrection uh, right through uh, to the ascension, or the end of May. Uh, and uh, just following around uh, the accounts in the Gospels uh, of what happens. What does Jesus get up to? Um, so... Uh, this week uh, we're in uh, John uh, chapter 20, uh, and uh, the words uh, should uh, come up on the screens uh, if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow. Uh, it's John chapter 20, uh, verse 19, uh, that we're going to be starting at. Okay, so it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, uh, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay. This is a, a, quite a short passage, but it's very, very rich. Um, so the context for it uh, is uh, that um, in the Gospel of John, as we uh, read the account, you have um, the resurrection and you've got... Um, the uh, ladies going to the tomb uh, to, sorry, the, uh, Jesus dies. The ladies, on the third day, the ladies go to the tomb uh, to uh, embalm the body and uh, they find he's not there. And you have uh, the account of uh, Peter and of John uh, running to the, um, to the tomb uh, to uh, affirm that as well. Uh, and uh, the, this amazing story as well of uh, Mary, who thinks Jesus is the gardener. And uh, so all of that's happened, uh, and now um, they're in this room. They've locked themselves away because they're thinking, you know, we're hearing these reports, but our leader's been killed, and it's probably going to be us next. And then Jesus is suddenly there. Even though they've locked the doors, he's able to just be there amongst them, and he's showing them, this is, look, this is what happens to me, happened to me. And then uh, he speaks to them about uh, sending them, and he breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit, uh, and uh, then makes this statement about forgiveness. So like I said, this is an incredibly rich passage. There are loads and loads of cross-references in here to the whole of the rest of the scripture. Um, I have a tendency to geek out on this and to go all Bible nerd, um, but... There is a, before I do any of that, let's just do something a little bit interactive. I wonder if you can imagine yourself in that room. What do you feel? 
Anyone got any thoughts? What, you, what, what might you be feeling in this situation? I heard a whisper over there. Go on, Jane. I said surprise. Surpri yeah, I'd be pretty surprised. Anyone else got anything? Well done for breaking the ice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else got any thoughts? Fear? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're scared enough they've locked the doors. That's <laughs> pretty scared. going on here yeah 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 and the passage actually tells us one other thing as well he says they are overjoyed so there's there's a real joy there oh my goodness Jesus is actually here did anyone spot any awkwardness in that passage at all I don't I don't think so I do, it's not there there's no awkwardness at all why is there no awkwardness? It opens at the very beginning with Jesus standing amongst them. There's a real connection there. He's standing amongst them. If you're annoyed with somebody uh, or you don't trust them, you keep your distance. But Jesus is right in there with them. He's saying, look, what, look what happened to me. And he keeps greeting them with this greeting, shalom. It's a standard greeting from the time. Peace. Peace be with you. Hi. A lot has happened since we last spoke, but I'm here. So um, I wonder if you have not seen somebody for a while, and maybe quite a lot has happened since you last saw them. That happened to us around Easter. Um, Jenny uh, came and knocked on our door. Jenny is brilliant. Um, for anyone who doesn't know her, she has been out in New Zealand uh, in, uh, with YWAM. And, uh, yeah, she's been part of this church for a long time. And we haven't seen her since before the pandemic. And we arranged to meet up, so it wasn't a surprise that she turned up. But it was just like a... There was a lovely joy about you just being here and being like, oh, it's been so long and so much has happened but we're connecting again together as friends. I wonder, maybe you've had something like that. You haven't seen somebody for a while because you haven't been able to because of the pandemic. It does change the dynamic a little bit. If let's imagine the last time I'd seen Jenny, I'd really let her down. It's not there in this passage, this kind of awkwardness from that, but it is true that the last time the disciples saw Jesus, other than on the cross, he, Jesus was asking them, he was saying, can you wait up and pray with me? And they're saying, well, they don't say no, they just fall asleep. Um, and then they run off. And then Peter's even denying that he knows Jesus. But Jesus is standing amongst them. He's saying, I accept you. 
Despite all of that that's happened, I, I acknowledge that that did happen, but I'm standing amongst you, and there is a joy from him connecting with them. So then we have uh, the bit at the, uh, at the end, from verse 21 uh, through to 23. Uh, we've got three things here. Jesus sends them, he breathes on them, and then he makes a statement about forgiveness. On a first reading, these three things don't really seem to be linked. As charismatics, we're a charismatic church, we uh, believe and love the work of the Holy Spirit here. And the thing that jumps out to us, it certainly jumped out to me, this is the bit that's exciting, is receive the Holy Spirit. (coughs) But it seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? Nothing actually happens. The next scene we get, um, which Anil's going to pick up on next week, is Thomas doubting Jesus. It's a bit of an anticlimax, actually, if we consider that what's happening in these verses is a turning point in world history. Jesus is giving the Holy Spirit to his followers. This is the fulfilment of so many prophecies. We've built up for so long to this. And then it's like, okay, well... Yeah, I'm sending you, and here's a statement about forgiveness, and now Thomas is doubting. We kind of want, as charismatics, we want the wham, bam, exciting, yeah, save the world, but it's not there yet. So if we want to understand this, um, I think probably the easiest way to do it is to work uh, backwards, to start with this slightly confusing statement that Jesus makes about uh, forgiveness. Why Why is he saying this? What does he mean by it? How would they have understood what he was saying here? So verse 23 says, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? (laughs) What it doesn't, definitely doesn't mean is that Jesus is sending his disciples out Uh, with the authority to say to people whether their sins are forgiven, uh, like, you're okay, you're not, you're okay, you're not. If you read the beginning of Mark's Gospel, it's very clear from the way that Jesus is talking, uh, it's actually with the conversation with the Pharisees, that's God's job. God is the one that forgives sins. But this verse starts to make sense when you read it together with the breathing bit, the receiving the Spirit bit. So we've got verse 22. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So spirit, uh, breath, and wind are all really closely associated concepts in uh, Jewish thought, in Hebrew thought. There's There's a word, ruach. It ties these together. And the first time that we ever come across this is right back uh, at the beginning, page one of the Bible. The Spirit of God was moving over the waters. This is the first thing that happens. Uh, The Spirit takes darkness and chaos and brings order. In Genesis 2, um, there's uh, a barren, empty land with no plants, it's just dust. 
the person writing Genesis is retelling the story. In the first, they, in Genesis 1, they start with the water. In Genesis 2, they start with the dust. And the first thing that God does is he makes a man out of the dust and he breathes life into this man. So the beginning of the story in 1 and 2 is spirit and is breath. So they're closely linked. Breath is the thing that makes you alive. You can't see your breath, but when somebody's breathing, you know that they're alive. You know that you say they have a spirit. And it's a gift. It comes from God. Your spirit in you, it's your breath in you. I have a spirit because of God's spirit that moved. I have breath because God breathed. So that's page one. So Jesus is breathing on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And it's connecting them back. When they hear him say, when he's doing this, he's breathing on them, that's where their mind's going to go. They're going back to the beginning of their scriptures, the beginning of the creation story. It's connecting them back to that story. You're in this room, and you feel like out there is death and darkness and fear. It feels like all of those things have won. Chaos has won. The waters are dark and void. The dust is barren and lifeless. And Jesus is coming into this room and he's saying, here's the Spirit. You've known the Father through me. Here's the Spirit through me. I'm making all things new, Jesus is saying to them. And that starts with you. The Holy Spirit's always associated with uh, discerning and understanding that doesn't come from yourself. I don't know, um, so Darren was speaking last week about the road to Emmaus and those guys just getting that understanding. Wow, we understand the scriptures now. This is a moment like that for the, for the disciples here. They're, they're being pointed again to their scriptures and understanding, oh wow, this is, this is what this is about. The Holy Spirit's giving understanding, understanding it's giving discernment. So we've got Genesis 1, God's spirit, his breath breathing on the waters, and ultimately that leads to the creation of man. Genesis 2, you have God's breathing on the dust, and that leads to man. And the next bit in the story is Genesis 3. Um, we have choices here in this, um, in this chapter. This is how mankind, how Adam and Eve handle uh, choices to live God's way or to do what seems right to themselves. And we know, we all know what happens, what choice they make there, and the consequences of that. Now, the consequences get spelled out even more in Genesis chapter 4. And this is, if you're following along here in your Bible, this is pretty extreme, it's pretty graphic. You've got the story of Cain and of Abel. These, These guys are brothers. And Cain gets angry with Abel, and God spells out to him uh, his choice to do good or to do what seems right to him. And that's, uh, if you could go to the next slide, Peter. This is it here, Genesis 4, verse 7. This is the choice uh, that God spells out to Cain. Cain chooses to murder his brother. 
And the language that follows this here, it mirrors Genesis 2 in reverse. So we have, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The ground has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So Genesis 2, you've got God taking the dust and breathing and there's life and there's a man. In Genesis 4, you have the breath leaving the man and he returns to the dust and the ground swallows him up. So the consequence of Cain's choice is the undoing of creation, running the tape backwards on Genesis 2. You can uh, read, yeah, that's fine, that's the choice. That's fine, that's meant to be all right. Um, so you can read the whole of the Old Testament as a commentary on choices. And that's kind of one of the things that makes it so compelling, reading some of these books like uh, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Kings, Samuel, these kind of books where there are stories about people. They're all facing a choice like this at different points. And sometimes the choice is really black and white, like here. You know, will you, if you do right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This is what, this is what we were made to do. We were made to rule over creation. But the Old Testament has characters who are constantly facing choices. And sometimes they're really black and white choices like this. Do I murder my brother or do I not murder my brother? but then it can be an awful lot more subtle than that. And we find ourselves rooting for these characters in the Old Testament, but knowing, oh, they're going to do it again. They made the wrong choice. And we can identify that with, in, with that in our own lives. We all face choices at different times, and we all mess up. That's why the Old Testament is such a great story to follow. Sometimes the, the choices we make are very, very small and seem inconsequential. Sometimes they're massive and have a huge impact. Then Jesus is saying to them, I say to you, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So, Peter, if you could just go to the next... It maps. It's the same structure. Jesus is referencing, he's breathing on them, he's pointing them to this Genesis story. And then he's using exactly the same sentence structure, but changing the words. Because he's saying, actually, I'm taking you to the root of Cain's choice. And the root of Cain's choice is forgiveness. Do you forgive your brother? So they're listening to Jesus and thinking, where, where have we heard something a bit like this before? Jesus does this quite a lot. He takes a, an Old Testament scripture and, uh, you know, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, you know, we are talking about that a few weeks ago. Where have we heard something like this before? Ah, yes. Cain said that this was Cain's choice. So you couple that with Jesus breathing on them, the life of the Spirit entering. 
He's saying to the disciples, you felt like there was chaos, there was darkness, there was evil outside that door, and evil gaining the upper hand. But my blood, like Abel's, was poured out on the ground. The ground opened its mouth up to swallow me up. Jesus is the first person that can ever tell the story with a different ending. From the dawn of time, it's been this story in yellow, and spiring down and down and down with the decisions that mankind keep making. Jesus is saying, well, yeah, all of that did happen. All of that is true, but I am here as evidence that there's one person that can tell this story with a different ending. And he's saying to them, you have a choice too. You have a choice whether to live my story and forgive as I have forgiven you. Because that's what he's doing right from the beginning. We talked about, um, if, you know, if things have been a bit awkward between me and Jenny, that first time we'd seen each other in, in years, because I'd done something to let her down, I hadn't. But, you know, the, we've got the, um, I don't think, um, <laughs> we've got the disciples there. And they've really let Jesus down. But he's, he's just, he's demonstrating to them forgiveness and acceptance. And then he's saying, you can go and live this story too. And it comes through the Spirit. The old story, the unforgiveness story, the story in yellow up there isn't going away. You can still choose it. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, I am trusting you, I am sending you to tell the better story, to tell the story about me. And it's possible because of the Holy Spirit, because the same Holy Spirit from Genesis 1, um, the same breath from Genesis 2, filling your lungs, being the air that you breathe. Jesus has been speaking to me as... I've prepared this about breathing on me to take the courage to unlock the door and consider new possibilities outside the safety of the four walls of my normal experience. What does it take to rely on God like that? To take steps of faith into places that are less familiar, that might seem scary to us? So can I just invite the band up? I, I, I'm, we're going to have a slightly messy end to this where I just, I'm gonna, I've got some more things to bring, but I just want to, um, yeah, just, I want us to be connecting with God in this. At the core of who we are, of, of the core of being who we're made to be, is connection with God. We're never satisfied without it. We're made to be connected with other people as well. And Jesus is making a really powerful statement. I'm standing amongst you. The past is forgiven. 
I'm not sitting down and judging. Although there will be a day when Jesus does sit down and judge. And that's really good because we're looking forward to that because there's a lot of stuff that needs sorting out in the world. But right now, Jesus is standing amongst us. He's saying to us, peace, shalom, hi. Look, it's really me. I'm really here. Go and treat other people like that.